you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hey everybody, from LAist Studios, I'm John Raby. For 11 years, I explored Southern California on the radio on Off-Ramp the people, places, and ideas that make this a great place to live. Like last week, Catherine Opie took us inside Elizabeth Taylor's house. You sit on Elizabeth Taylor's sofa, and you're really happy to be on that sofa. Yay, happy times. But sometimes, we covered the people and ideas that made this a crappy place to live. Like how the mayor of L.A. used radio at the start of World War II to support the Japanese incarceration. A few days ago... We dropped, at least temporarily, from the city payrolls all employees of Japanese parentage. This was done without violating the legal rights of anyone. Sorry, I should have warned you that was coming up in case you were drinking milk, because that's when it would go through your nose. Anyway, coming up in a few minutes, I'll be talking with actor and activist George Takei about his family's experience during the Japanese incarceration. But first, let's uncover the mayor's role in one of the many off-ramp pieces that came from L.A. City archivist Michael Holland. This originally aired in 2017. The Second World War made Los Angeles into the metropolis that it is today. People came to Southern California in droves for work in the defense industry, and many of them stayed for the weather and lifestyle. But that success story has a very dark side, which we are still grappling with. And some of the proof is here, in the Los Angeles City Archive. The archive contains radio speeches Mayor Fletcher Bowron gave every Thursday night. Alas, there are no audio recordings of these speeches, but there are paper transcripts that let us recreate what they might have sounded like. Tonight, I want to talk to you about city planning. If there is a city in America that requires a well-considered long-range plan, it is the city of Los Angeles. Bowron was elected to replace the corrupt Frank Shaw in 1938 and instituted reforms to restore confidence in local government. He used the radio as a bully pulpit to call out other politicians who were resistant to his agenda. He was re-elected in 1941. Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The attack at Pearl Harbor bred a special hatred towards the Japanese living here in Southern California, many of them American citizens by birth. Los Angeles was at the center of the war effort with the ports of LA and Long Beach, oil refineries, and the factories producing the material needed to defeat the Axis powers. One American airplane factory, one of many. One bomber, thousands on the way. In mid-January 1942, Mayor Bowron had been told about a plan to intern local Japanese, supposedly to protect the home front and the defense industries from spies and saboteurs. His radio speech of January 29th mentioned the first part of the plan. A few days ago, we dropped, at least temporarily, from the city payrolls all employees of Japanese parentage. This was done without violating the legal rights of anyone. Not everyone approved. Clifford Clinton, 
of Clifton's cafeteria fame and one of the men behind Bowron's election, wrote a letter of protest. We should not permit hysteria and indignation to serve as a substitute for hard work and hard thinking. We should build up public morale by taking intelligent and humane action, not undermine it by yielding to the hysteria of a witch hunt. As did an unnamed Pasadena realtor. Sometimes I wonder how genuine our democracy is. If by democracy we mean freedom and liberty for the white man, let's say so and promptly subjugate all others so Hitler cannot divide and conquer. But it's not that kind of America. Let's publicly reinstate these citizens. But dissenting voices and a report from the Office of Naval Intelligence were ignored as President Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066 on February 19th. Eventually, up to 120,000 Japanese Americans would be interned. Bowron's background as a judge was on full display as he defended the internment in his weekly radio address. I have merely pointed out a legal theory that native-born Japanese never were citizens under a proper construction of the provisions of the United States Constitution. If they never were citizens, nothing could be taken from them and their position is different. They are in a class by themselves. The theory he cited was a dissenting Supreme Court opinion from the 1890s. He went on to express his preference that Los Angeles would never again have a large concentration of Japanese. But many internees did return and started up their lives all over again. It appears that within the next three months, 10,000 Japanese will be brought back to us from the relocation centers. A few reclaimed their homes and businesses, but most couldn't. The case for justifying the internment camps was never successfully proven. The U.S. government no longer considered Southern California in danger from sabotage in mid-1943 and started to release the internees. The Supreme Court ruled against indefinite detention of U.S. citizens in December 1944. Six city employees were photographed with Mayor Bowron when they returned to city service in January of 1945. Fletcher Bowron was mayor of Los Angeles until 1953, and until Tom Bradley was our longest serving mayor. After he left office, he became director of the Metropolitan Los Angeles History Project. Bowron died in 1968 at the age of 81, but before he did, he made several public apologies for the treatment of the Japanese citizens of Los Angeles. For Off Ramp, I'm LA City Archivist Michael Holland. Coming up after the break, George Takei tells us what his family went through. We were just a normal uh, uh, family. Uh, living in Los Angeles in the Wilshire district at that time. And uh, then something happened in, uh, in my very young life. From LAS Studios, this is Off Ramp. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com sweeps. 
This is Off Ramp. I'm John Raby. George Takei is one of the many Japanese Americans who were incarcerated by their own government at the start of World War II. George became an activist on the issue and, of course, backed the musical Allegiance a few years ago about the experience. An experience that informed him but did not define him. I spoke with him about it when the Japanese American National Museum opened a huge exhibit all about George in 2017. The exhibit opens with a selection of Takei family photos, family portraits, the family at the beach, you in diapers, you with your siblings. Uh, and, and the thing about them, besides that it's, it's really nice to see these intimate moments and it's fun seeing you in diapers, is that, is that they're really mundane. And, and by that I mean if you cover the faces, you could be a German-American family, you could be an Italian-American family, you could be an African-American family. Exactly. We were just a normal uh, uh, family uh, living in Los Angeles in the Wilshire district at that time. And uh, then something happened in, uh, in my very young life. Uh, when I was five years old, the President of the United States, named Franklin Delano Roosevelt, signed an executive order. Hear the echoes here? Executive order. Yep. Because the nation was swept up in fear and uh, ignorance and racism, and with no charges, we were summarily rounded up in the most unjust way. There were no trials, no due process, and imprisoned in barbed wire prison camps. But the, the family photos you referred to happened before that uh, historic event. Uh, it was us, the Takei family, living just a normal life in Los Angeles, California. George, of all the things that are covered in the segment of the exhibit that covers the, the Japanese-American internment, the thing that really hit me hardest was the letter that your mom wrote asking for her citizenship back. George, can you tell me, what does this letter tell us about your family? What does it tell us about you, this letter that your mom wrote? Well, my mother was a very strong-willed woman. Um, she, went, she was outraged by the internment itself, and then they took everything from us, you know, our business, our home, yep. and put us in these barbar prison camps as if that wasn't an outrage enough. Then they came down with a loyalty questionnaire with uh, questions that were very, at best, uninformed. For example, question 28 asked two opposite ideas, two conflicting ideas with, uh, uh, in one sentence. It asked, essentially, Will you swear your loyalty to the United States of America and forswear your loyalty to the Emperor of Japan? We had no uh, loyalty to, to the Emperor, but the government assumed that we had a racial loyalty. Yeah, when did you stop beating your wife? Exactly. And, uh, and uh, my parents both answered no to that because... You know, it assumed that we uh, had an, a loyalty to, to, to the emperor. And if you answered no, that also applied to the first part of the same sentence, where we uh, uh, swear our loyalty to the United States. If you answered yes, meaning I do swear my loyalty to the United States, you were confessing that we were loyal to the emperor and now was prepared to forswear that and re-swear uh, the loyalty uh, to the United States. That was another outrage. But because of that, because of no answer, we, uh, they were categorized as uh, disloyal. 
I mean, it's not disloyalty. It's uh, stupidity on the part of the government to ask a question like that. But because of that disloyal categorization, we were then moved to another camp, a high-security camp, uh, with three uh, layers of barbed wire fences. Now, these were people that were already angry and, uh, and hostile. And some young men went radical. They said, well, you're going to consider us enemies. By gum, we'll show you what kind of enemies we can be. And they became real rabble-rousers. And the government uh, was at uh, wit's end on that. And uh, uh, they... Um, tried to find the leaders of that of the radical group but uh, they found it very difficult and they and the camp became very turbulent people resisted uh, uh, some of the innocent people that were dragged away and put into a, 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 a concrete uh, prison in within a prison camp uh, where they were uh, imprisoned and uh, uh, there were some riots and i remember some of those uh, or one of those riots that my father took me to where it wasn't supposed to be a riot but it was when uh, the government sent in uh, uh, the camp command sent in uh, 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 jeeps with soldiers uh, standing in them with their uh, rifles aimed at us that we all scattered but uh, because of the, this uh, relentless, continuing, uh, never-ending series of outrages, uh, it got to the point where uh, the government uh, was about to throw up their hands and say, all right, then we're going to uh, throw you all out of the, the camp, the, the two-day camp, which was considered the camp for disloyals. Yeah. And that was terrorizing because then the red, we would be open to the red, uh, rednecks. Ironically, the barbed wire fence that imprisoned us was also protecting us from the rednecks. And uh, our family would be then uh, endangered um, if they opened up the camp and let us free. And uh, so the radicals said, if enough of us uh, re renounce our citizenship, then the government will be forced to keep the, the prison camp uh, 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 operating. And so uh, under these series of coercions and goadings by the government uh, in anger um, and to protect their family. George Decay speaking with me in 2017. George has always been a real friend of Off-Ramp, appearing many times on the show, some of them serious like that, and some of them silly. You know what a radio liner is? This is a normal liner. Hello, I'm George Takei, and you're listening to Off-Ramp. But this one was my favorite. Hello, everybody. This is George Takei, and you're listening to Off-Ramp. And now, here's your remarkably well-preserved host, John Raby. That'll do it for this episode of Off-Ramp, but come back next week. On May 19th, Peacock is debuting a limited series about the mysterious life of Angeline. You want to put up posters of yourself. Just you around the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why not? Nobody's ever done it. Why not start now? But in real life one night, the real Angeline drove me around West Hollywood in her pink Corvette. We're leaving the French market now. We're back in the, <laughs> in the, in the, pink, in the pink Corvettes. We're leaving the French market, heading back towards Sunset Boulevard. Uh, people, little girls call me Barbie. A lot of uh, crazy guys call me porn star, which I love, by the way. 
I love people saying that because I don't have to do porn. I have the intensity of that look. Mm. But for kids to say I'm Barbie, which is innocent, is awesome as well. And everything in between. Take that, Peacock. And I'll have that for you next time on Off Ramp from LAS Studios. Our theme music is by Fesleyan Studios. Catch you next time. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.